Welcome again to You've Got Murder. Thank you all so much for tuning in. You know, it means the world. Having an audience, supporters like yourselves, anybody that comes and listens to the things I do, right? I mean, for anybody who creates anything and have somebody, whether it's two or three people, or 50,000, to tell you in a way without words that they enjoy what you do, it's huge. And today, we're back with some true crime here on the You've Got Murder podcast. And that's exciting because, truth is, one of my favorite topics, one of my favorite genres, if you will. Now, I don't want you to be confused and think, oh, every episode's going to be true crime. People are going to be dying, etc., etc. But here's the deal. We're going to still talk about horror movies, the horror genre, and everything that goes with being scared or creeped out or confused. And I wanted to recreate this podcast because I know that there's a specific audience. I know who's listening in a lot of ways. And you guys are why, even in times where I feel like, oh, I don't want to do this episode or I don't want to record or I don't feel like it, I say, you know what? Let's bear down and let's let's get it out there for the audience, right? I mean, it's so hard these days for anybody to create anything and feel like, oh, it's so positive. We should keep doing it because everyone's so free to be negative, right? And they feel like they're getting more out of being negative than they are for being positive, I compare it to walking into a place and holding a door for somebody and them not saying anything or you walk into a place later on and nobody holds the door for you when there is an opportunity for such. It's weird because what I think about it, it's like if I don't like something, I mention it one time about how much I didn't like it, and then I move on, and I go other places, right? It, it leaves my mind. It's so weird to live in an era where people are more or less wallowing in their distaste for something. They're actually finding joy in it. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because now there's more of a collective where instead of just this one person telling another person they don't like it they're telling an entire group and that group feels the same it's good to have those connections but again there's more to to every person even in that group right 
There's more to those individuals, or are they not individuals? But today we're talking about an individual that was out of his mind, of course. That's what we do. <laughs> He's not going to be a regular Joe. But this guy was a murderer. You know, he's uh, got a weird name. And I feel like that's a common theme with a lot of these people. They have weird names. What was uh, Bell Gunnis? That was a weird name for sure. Um, the fella didn't live very long, okay? This guy didn't live a long life, but at least he was confident, I suppose. That's always a positive, positive to be confident. So let's get into it, guys. Today, on You've Got Murder, we're talking about John Thurtle. And John Thurtle was known to his friends and his family as Jack, which obvious is appropriate. But few idiots through history approach the level that Thurtle achieved in such a short, horrible life. And it seems the only thing he did right was die without too much drama. Welcome to You've Got Murder, the short and tragic life of John Thurtle. Thurtle was born in the late 18th century into a wealthy family in the English town of Norwich. His father was a prominent merchant and city councilman who also served as mayor. Thurtle shared his father's ambition but lacked his skill. Rather than apply himself to his studies, he was mad for competitive sports, mainly horse racing and prize fighting. After one too many tussles, his father decided a career in the Navy would do the young Thurtle good. So at age 15, with a freshly purchased commission, he joined Company 99 of the Royal Navy and set out on the HMS Adamant. Now the HMS Adamant promptly sails to the Firth of Forth in Scotland, and that is where it docked for a few years. Other than raising hell in the local taverns and insulting the Scots, it appears Thurtle and his crewmates spent their time doing pretty much nothing. When the fleet got a new commander, Thurtle was disciplined and, dis and discharged by Rear Admiral Otway. We don't know what he did, but they didn't kick you out of the Royal Navy randomly. Record-keeping slip-ups will definitely ensure Thurtle found another berth on the HMS Bellana, despite not technically being in the Navy. Of course... When Thurtle proudly returned home in 1814, he told his friends and family about his gallant action as he stormed the port of San Sebastian on the north coast of Spain. Naval records prove that his story of action on the Bologna were baloney, and you gotta love that. It was docked at the Isle of Wit during the battle and merely cruised past San Sebastian several days after hostilities had died down. So, of course... Another guy that is being grandiose about his accomplishments. He also told the story of how the Bologna captured a brig of war. It was, in fact, unarmed 
and a merchant schooner, nonetheless, and they surrendered without a fight. Thurtle's father then arranged for the local merchants to extend credit to his son to set up a business with his friend Giddens as manufacturers of bomb Bombazine, which is a fancy twilled silk dress fabric, and it was popular at this time. However, Thurtle soon turned back to his old obsession with prize fighting, which is a very strange name for boxing, right? I think it's a fancier name. It's probably how they got it legalized in so many states and countries because they said, oh, it's prize fighting. It's not just boxing. It's not two guys just kicking the shit out of each other. They're fighting for dollars. He made friends with a boxer from London who had moved to Norwich to seek easier pickings. His tales encouraged Thurtle to make regular visits to London where he was constantly seen at the lowest of the low. Gambling houses, taverns, and he was devoted to betting on horses, prize fights, and other sporting events. A consummate gambler. At this time, Thurtle impressed his contemporaries, one of whom described him as a man of integrity. And you gotta like that. You gotta enjoy when somebody gives you that type of compliment. Even though, I mean, for him, it is way bigger than a regular regular person, right? This guy having somebody tell him that he's a man of integrity is only going to add more lies to his life and encouragement in those lies. Because somebody told him that they were valued. There's integrity. And chances are he lied right to that guy as well. So who are we supposed to believe? But I have to also wonder, how many guys in this era, in this time, I mean, how many guys in the history of people have been named John? You know, it seems like, it seems like there's so many fucking Johns. Everybody's named John? If it's not your first name, it's your middle name. It's certainly a part of your name. Like, how many Johns do we need? Why is John so prominent? But Thurtle certainly isn't, you know, did they call him Turtle? I would imagine. I, I would imagine there's probably guys that called him Turtle, even after they knew it was Thurtle. <laughs> They're like, nah, it was, it's going to be Turtle now. Sorry. But we'll be back in just a few short moments.
Colonel's idiocracy was soon exposed, however. While Giddens plunged away managing the Bombazine, Thurtle was often absent from Norwich, and he was chronically short of funds. The partners soon became delinquent in payments to their creditors, to the embarrassment of Thurtle's father. When a London mercantile firm purchased several thousand pounds, the gallant Thurtle offered to travel to London alone to collect the payment. I think we can all already agree by what we've learned about this Thurtle guy. He's got other plans in mind. Now, yeah, yeah, he might deliver the stuff. He might deliver the goods. But do you think he's coming right back home with that money? I mean, let's be realistic. He's lied his way into claiming to be this great hero to to have somebody tell him he's a man of integrity to now say with that integrity like i said this is the, that guy encouraged his lies and encouraged him period to now say hey hey dad i'll do this job no sweat it should be obvious at this point he's going to do some you know, ominous shit. For sure. So Thurtle returns without the money, saying that he had been ambushed and robbed by footpads. He apparently displayed some bruises and a small cut on his head, as is evidence. His creditors, however, were quite vocal about not believing him. His father's influence ensured Thurtle was not charged with a crime, but his reputation in Norwich plummeted, and did that of the over-trusting and innocent Giddens. Their partnership went bankrupt in 1821. It was a bad year for the Thurtle family. His brother Tom had attempt attempted the simple life of a gentleman farmer, but found it to be not so simple. And what's the difference between a gentleman farmer and a regular farmer? Just attitude. I mean, was was that a big deal back then? Like the one guy was like, I'm a farmer. He's like, yeah, well, I'm a gentleman farmer. What about that? That's even better. I, I speak nicely <laughs> to the seeds as I plant them. Like, what is, I don't know. So the brother owed 4,000 pounds in debt, which was soon followed by his big brother's bankruptcy. He blamed his failure, though, on the excessive taxation and substandard seeds. So maybe not such a gentleman farmer, right? He's upset at the seeds. The two brothers then fled to London, their bankruptcy cases still not discharged by the court. The two launched various schemes and enterprises, usually under Tom's name, but with Thurtle as the mastermind, if you could say he's the mastermind, I suppose, Jack came up with a plan to get both he and Tom out of trouble for exploiting the act of relief for insolvent debtors recently passed by Parliament. Thurtle believed there was a loophole. Tom, again, of course, was the guinea pig. Thurtle lent his brother 17 pounds, and as arranged, Tom defaulted on the loan. Thurtle then had Tom thrown into the king's bench for debt. So he 
he gives his brother money. His brother doesn't pay him back for it. And he gets his own brother thrown in jail. Like, what is what is that? What kind of guy is that? The plan, though, was they hoped that it would expedite Tom's original bankruptcy case and have it forgiven. But this was a staggering mistake as Thurtle missed one of the finer points of the act. And that let Tom... And Tom ends up languishing in prison for 14 months before finally withdrawing the complaint. Tom appeared to have left London immediately after being released, but this didn't stop Thurtle from continuing to do business under his brother's name. I don't know what it says about a person who's willing to use their family and their family's name to commit heinous things, whatever it may be. It's just so weird that you're willing to do that. You're putting so much more on the line than just you. That That is... <clears throat> it's just proof of not caring. You don't care. There is... there, And that's going to be the first thing they say. Is you don't care. And then they're going to argue how much they do care. Blah, blah, blah. And that's the worst part. Is there's, there's these, all these opportunities to forgive. And when... When most people are forgiven, they do their best to, I guess, avoid messing that up. I would think most people don't want to mess it up when they're forgiven. But then again, there are so many other people that just don't give a shit. They don't care that they've been forgiven to any extent. And they just continue doing what they're doing. And that can be said in, in many forms, right? Like that guy who leaves a shitty YouTube comment to a famous person and that famous person responds only to find out that the person who left the original comment was going through something. Like, hey man, you could have just started there. So Thurtle took out a lease on a tavern appropriately called The Cock. He immediately sold off the contents of the basement, which obviously didn't belong to him. He also purchased a warehouse in both he and Tom's name. Using proceeds from the sale of the stuff in the basement, Thurtle made a down payment to finance hundreds of pounds of bombazine. He stored it in a warehouse and took out an insurance policy. He spent a few more pounds making alterations to the warehouse so that no one could see inside. Then, under the cover of darkness, he transferred the silk to another location and sold it for cash, making a huge profit. Then, surprise, the warehouse mysteriously burned down. Thurtle's remodeling job ensured the night watch didn't see the fire until it was too late. But the local constable was obviously suspicious. There was no telltale remains of silk in the warehouse, and the remodeling obviously served no purpose other than to hide the interior. The county fire office refused to pay the insurance claim. Thurtle, in Tom's name, sued the office and won, but the director of the fire office still refused to pay the claim. And he even used his contacts to procure an indictment against Thurtle and the hapless Tom for conspiracy to defraud the insurance company. So again, you got this guy who is just so desperately trying to make a, 
make money, but also sacrificing so much in the process, right? His own brother, even though his brother was kind of in on it. I mean, there's so many things here where you're like, hey, man, at some point you should have just stopped. You should have just started to try to go down another path, maybe work hard instead of trying to, um, I don't know, find a loophole in the system. The brothers had a mountain of unpaid bills. Thirtle especially, he racked up so many while running and went into hiding under an assumed name. During this time, his friend Joseph Hunt wrote that Thirtle suffered from an observable disintegration of his personality. He spent much time drinking and brooding. He would also write a list of grievances against those he imagined wronged him. Chief among them was William Weir. He was a notorious but non-violent underworld figure who seemed to have started as a waiter. Then he went on to professional gambling. So it seems what we've already learned, like I said many times, this guy has an urge to get rich quick. That's what it's all about. Whether it's gambling or trying to scheme the government, he's doing anything he can. Anything he can. And believe me, this isn't something that was just happening in this era. People still do that today. They're called con men. Thirtle had, in, de in his depression, lost $300 to wear. And it got to a point of obsession. He refused to pay and spread rumors that Ware had only won by cheating. He said because of Ware, he'd become a laughingstock. Not because of his own idiocracy. In October of 1823, Thurtle decided on a way to avoid paying Ware the 300 pounds he owed him. He would feign recollection, and vowing to clear the debt, Thurtle invited Ware for a weekend in the country at the cottage of a friend, Bill Probert. However, Thurtle had enlisted Probert and another crony, Joseph Hunt, to murder Ware. How? Well, we'll never know. But the two were also debt-ridden and lived in the underworld, to say the least. The plan was that Thurtle would hire a gig, which is also known as a gentleman's carriage, and drive to the village. Probert and Hunt were uh, to follow along, and then the three would kill Ware. But the ass uh, assistants got cold feet. They delayed for hours debating whether they should go through with it. Eventually, they decided to go along, but by the time they caught up with Thurtle, he already killed Ware. He also made a real mess of it. Once dusk fell, Thurtle turned into a, a dark lane near Probert's cottage, produced a pistol from a matched set, and shot Ware in the face. But that failed to kill him. The poor guy managed to escape from the carriage, but did not get far away, stumbling into the darkness. Thurtle chased Ware, caught up to him when he tripped over a root. Thurtle drew a knife and slit Ware's throat from ear to ear. Then, for some reason, bashed Ware's head repeatedly with the pistol, until Ware's brains were dashed all over the ground. Now we get to a point where he has killed. He's taken a life. And to what's end? Simply because he owed money that he owed. Right? I don't know. It's just so extreme. So extreme when you lost the game. He decided to gamble. He went in there, put money on the line, lost... And then said, you know what, I can't afford to pay this guy back. 
eh, he should die. Senseless. Thirtle hid the pistol and the knife in a nearby hedge. When Probert and Hunt finally arrived, they helped him throw the body into a pond on Probert's property. So one of the guys is willing to have this dead body on his property. But of course, they searched and looted the body, of course, uh, first. The trio then went to Probert's cottage where Thurtle presented Miss Probert with a gold chain he'd taken off Ware's corpse. The next day, Thurtle went to retrieve the murder weapons, but he couldn't find them. Nervous, the men waited for dark, fished Ware's body out of the pond, and dumped it into another pond by a road near a village of Elstree. So maybe he wasn't too keen on having this body on his property. Or maybe he would have been had they not lost the weapons. So clearly, none of these guys know what the fuck they're doing, period. Even just in regular day-to-day -day life, let alone committing a crime. Just idiots. Pure and simple. Meanwhile, a road maintenance crew found the pistol and the knife and saw the brains and blood. Eventually calling authorities. It wasn't long before they showed up looking for Thurtle. Thurtle actually made it easy for them. All of Ware's friends knew he had planned to spend the weekend with Thurtle. When he didn't show up to his regular haunts, the following Monday, they reported it. The horse Thurtle had hired to pull the gig had a rare and distinctive coloration, all gray with a white face, and several witnesses on the road remember seeing it. When the authorities questioned Thurtle, they found the other pistol from the match set, which was, of course, identical to the one of the murder weapons. At this point, Probert and Hunt immediately turned King's evidence against Thurtle and told everything. Because why wouldn't they? These two guys essentially did become a part of it to a small percentage. They came late, and they didn't have all of the details. And, I mean, of course, they definitely helped. But they didn't do nearly what Thurtle did. So yeah, at that point, let them have it. Tell, tell on them, <laughs> you know? Um, all the charges were dropped against Probert, but Hunt, who initially lied to investigators about helping to hide the body, was banished to Australia. I mean, what a, what a weird thing to have happen. Imagine if they were doing that today, or if you committed some sort of crime, they could just banish you somewhere else. Like, hey man, you keep stealing from all the stores. Good luck in Uzbekistan. <laughs> you know, uh, send them way the hell out there. Thurtle proclaimed innocence throughout this entire thing. He attempted to delay the trial by calling witnesses who he knew to be absent from London. He was eventually convicted of Ware's murder and hanged in January of 1824. Meanwhile, Hunt went on to sell his story to the newspapers. The lurid details of the crime ensured a major media circus at the execution. Strangely enough, Thurtle seemed to have died well without any blubbering or begging. On the scaffold, he admitted to the murder, said justice had been done, and then, in a classic idiot move, instead of asking for forgiveness, he announced, I forgive the world. His body was dissected and studied, and today a skeleton is still on display at the Anatomical Museum of Edinburgh University. Later that year, his brother Tom was convicted in a warehouse insurance fraud scheme, even though his only crime was to let Thurtle write his name on the paperwork. He, too, was hanged. So like I said from the very beginning, 
this guy's putting all of this on his family, even though his brother did say, yeah, I want to help, I want to do it, but most of the later things that, you know, the, uh, the brother here, John, was committing, he was committing it as Tom. He just pretended to be him instead. And they still hung the brother. That's so crazy. But Thurtle became something of a celebrity after his death as the subject of Penny Dreadfuls and cautionary tales about the dangers of young gentlemen coming to London and getting involved in the vice of underworld gambling. But it seems pretty clear that Thurtle's idiocracy began many years before his gambling days. And that must conclude that he is an idiot, an infamous mind, a subject of You've Got Murder. Alright guys, that's our episode for this week. Maybe these two weeks, I don't know. We got a lockdown coming our way, I'm sure. And <laughs> we gotta stay busy. Of course we gotta stay busy. But if you want to support the show that you love, that you listen to, whenever it comes out, please do that by visiting patreon.com slash podculture. That's P-O-D-C-U-L-T-U-R-E. $3 a month, guys. $3 a month. It's cheaper than a cup of coffee if you buy your coffee. And all the podcasts say that, so why not me? Why not say it? Uh, but we do have a Patreon, and that support really helps the show grow. It helps keep me doing these things and, and more able to do them more often and better quality and all that stuff and really more incentive, I'd say. But that's been You've Got Murder. Thank you guys all so much for tuning in. Even if you just play the podcast, that means the world. But if you got the means to support the show in another way, please, it means the world. Thank you so much. Goodbye. You've got murder. Thank you.